Hi, this is Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast on how sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and comics help us explore our humanity. This is Tony Tolado. On Trek Tuesday, Tim Russ's Renegades, which took a very different path, funded by fans on Kickstarter. It was originally called Star Trek Renegade, and it was completed. But when CBS Paramount restructured, it put an end to all other Trek-related productions that weren't done by the studio. So the pilot became Renegades, and all references to Star Trek were removed. The pilot won fan acclaim and support. And I talked to Tim Russ when it was Star Trek Renegades a few years ago. That conversation in a moment. Here is part one with Tim Russ. Hi, and welcome to Sci-Fi Talk, and this is Tony Tolado. Today I speak to Tim Russ, who of course played uh, Lieutenant Tuvok on uh, Star Trek Voyager, and he has a new role, not only as playing Tuvok again, but also directing Star Trek Renegades. Perhaps you've seen his Star Trek Gods and Men, which is a really a fine production, and really had a, a good, diverse cast, and I really liked what he did with it. Well, Renegades is a project that right now is uh, being funded by yourself, the fans, which is really cool. And they're hoping to do a pilot and present it to uh, CBS Paramount. So we'll see how that all goes. But here's my first of a two-part conversation I had with Tim as we discuss the potential series and the plans he has for Star Trek Renegades and also some of the hurdles that the uh, pilot has to clear. First of all, I have to congratulate you for getting the project funded. I thought that was awesome. And uh, what's really uh, what's really cool about this and really appealing about it is you're you're really taking Star Trek in a little bit of a I mean it's familiar, but also kind of going in a different direction. And I think that's a bold step. What led you to kind of go in that direction? We wanted to do something that was uh, uh, either parallel or ahead of the last series, which was, Voyager, which is Voyager, basically, as far as the regular timeline goes. Um, we didn't want to do a prequel, so we wanted to do something that was that took place years ahead to where Voyager left off, and just create an entirely different uh, story, an entirely different look and feel, and change up the characters as well. We, we just wanted to do something different, because here again, you know, Gene Roddenberry is known for basically stepping outside the box. He's known for <clears throat> taking chances. He's known for uh, pushing the envelope. Mm-hmm. as far as trying things that haven't been done. And they continued that tradition, so we're going to also do that. The way we want to go about it, you know, is to try to do something that, you know, we haven't seen yeah. uh, yet in terms of uh, uh, characters and storyline and this kind of stuff. And uh, because otherwise we'll be just, we'll be, we'll be basically just showing the same, you know, the same folks, the same stuff, the same kinds of stories in this part of space. And mm-hmm. just trying to be, trying to shake it up. Otherwise, you know, it's just rehashing what they've already done. They wanted something that would, would at least pique curiosity of the fans. Mm-hmm. So they'll check it out just to see what the changes are. You know, just to see what this, this version of Star Trek is. For Star Trek to evolve, uh, also, a lot of time has passed since the last episode of Voyager, so things are different now, too, and, and you kind of have to kind of evolve with the audience a little bit, too. Yeah, the audience will have the classic, you know, everybody as far back as the classic Trek folks watching this, and people who grew up on Voyager and Deep Space Nine, uh, that era generation, they won't have, they may have people who are younger, uh, who had not watched Trek at all before, uh, get hooked into, you know, watching something like this. You know, we're not sure, you know, how far it's going to go, where it's going to go. I mean, at the end of the day, people who are already familiar with Star Trek are going to be the ones that are going to want, want, want to watch this, this show. And, and there isn't anything else out there other than the features that are doing, uh, reboots. So, 
this is the only thing out there that's going to be uh, ahead of where we left off. It's the only one. Nobody else is doing that. Yeah. So uh, everybody else is either recreating what's already been done, or they're doing something that's a prequel. And we're doing something that that that, that our timeline is nobody else has done and nobody else is doing. Cool. And that's that's what that's what the idea is. You know, as far as where the producers are coming from and the writers and the, and I was in total agreement. Um, you know, my main pitch was whatever it is, let's do it different. You know, whatever it is, let's let's try it. let's use this instead of that because uh, we haven't seen that before. You know, and and uh, you know, let's put the edge on this. Let's uh, you know make this character uh, you know a little different than what we you know even a little different than what we remember him as. You know, everybody's sort of scattered. You know, uh, we're not one cohesive unit. You know that we used to be as far as, for example, the Voyager crew or things like that. We're yeah. dealing with, you know, part of uh, Starfleet Section 31, which is like, you know, Black Ops. This is basically a Black Ops project, is what it is. Cool. Uh, in Star Trek, and we really haven't dealt with that in, in, in detail yet. So that's what we're doing. I'm exploring that. What was it like to come back to Tuvok after all this time? You know, he's not a he's not difficult to uh, <laughs> he's not difficult to get to yeah. at all. He's, for me, he's uh, pretty easy to get to. So, you know, it's just a matter of, you know, it's it's kind of nostalgic in that sense. Uh, uh, as far as myself directing this thing and be, uh, being in it, you know, it's it, it's kind of a, uh, a distraction because I have to wear two hats, and I don't like wearing two hats on there. You know, some people don't mind directing themselves in projects. I'm not that uh, big a fan of doing that. I'd rather do one or the other, you know? Yeah. They put me in it, and, you know... Uh, part of the story now, so I have to be in it in order to make this happen. Walter's character and myself are the ones who are sort of heading up this thing. That's what I like, too, is one of the things I wanted Star Trek to do after Voyager was and, and Enterprise was to kind of have, you know, different characters from different generations or shows kind of, you know, mashing it up a little bit and having you and Walter together, I thought was a really great idea. And you Yeah, know, you know, as I, I, uh, similar, I was my thought would have been that if you were going to do a, let's say, for example, a movie or something, it wouldn't be a Voyager movie. It would be, you know, uh, a Star Trek movie that involves, you know, everybody from Next Gen all the way to uh, to Voyager. Yeah. You've got, uh, and just, and just you know, run them in and out in cameos, you know, throughout the film, wherever you could. And you might have them in a different, uh, they might not all be on the same ship. They might not be all in the same place. They might not. They might not all be doing the same thing. For example, some of them might be retired from Starfleet. Now they're civilians. How do they? How do they fit in as a civilian? You know, what are their obligations? What are their? You know, um, what are they? What are their loyalties? What are their? Uh, you know, responsibilities. Do they care or not? Do they, are they busy doing other things? Can they help as a civilian? You know, say for example, one might be an ambassador. One might be uh, a liaison. One might be, uh, you know, in, in private business, you yeah. know, or, or some kind of uh, industry, or some kind of, you know, might be in uh, uh, some other capacity, you know, uh, raising a family and not doing anything else. I mean, who knows? All I'm saying is that those are the that kind of thing is what we wanted to approach. So that you call, you know, somebody comes in on something, uh, they might be the captain of their own ship. They might be working on another ship. They might be, uh, you know, signed to a desk job, you know, within Starfleet. So all of these things are uh, um, things that I wanted to to explore. You mm-hmm. know, um, initially, if uh, if if we were going to go off and do 
another series or, you know, a feature or whatever it may have been. So that would have been my plan is just to pull him in from all three shows. But then you got, now you got some fun, you know. Uh, you know, I totally agree. I was seeing something along the same lines. I just thought to kind of expand the universe and make it a whole universe rather than just one ship, one space station. It's like the whole world of Star the Trek. Whole, the whole thing, man. Yeah. You know, uh, we're stuck off exploring some part of the quadrant that is yet to be explored. You know, there is some kind of stuff going on over here that we haven't seen yet or that we don't know what's going on. And you're likely to pull in a few of the familiar alien races because they're out there doing their thing. Yeah. Um, and that's all fine. Mm-hmm. You know, you could introduce another alien race. That's sort of a, a bad guy if you want, you know, or somebody that's doing whatever it is they're doing. You could, uh, you know, you could do any number of things um, and make it make it interesting and happen. And, and uh, that's, uh, that's just my thought on it. But um, outside of that, as long as there's some mobility. Mm-hmm. In the show, that you're either able to go and come and do they go places, and, you know, and, and explore and do things, you know, make make trips to some place back and forth. You can get around, and so you can, you can get as far away from Starfleet as you can, or you can better, you know, stay within Star, you know, Starfleet's part of space, etc. Um, it is certainly a big place out there. So yeah, uh, and not all of it has been explored. There's no reason why you couldn't yeah. find things that haven't been discovered yet. So absolutely, um, that's what. In fact, we're doing, you mm-hmm. know, uh, this cool. show, this series, uh, we have uh, an alien race that's new called the Siphon, and, uh, they're somewhat barbaric, albeit spacefaring, they are somewhat barbaric based on their history, uh, the history of their planet and what has happened, and, and they're on a mission as well, so, you know, we encounter them, and, and that, and that's, you know, at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, this is not, there is, there is somewhat of a, uh, moral sort of decision or moral play in this thing in terms of, you know, deciding what action to take and how to take it, mm-hmm. you know, what risk to take yeah. uh, what uh, in order to, uh, you know, on the scales, you put it on the scales, you know, does it balance out evenly or does it not uh, as to what, uh, what the sacrifice is, you know, in exchange for what the results are. Yeah. You know, yeah. What, what do you give up in order to achieve the goal? That's what the whole play is, is this, this thing is about. Cool. You know, yeah. That that sounds great. From a yeah. production standpoint, you've already started shooting uh, the the, uh, the first episode. Is that right? No, no. Oh. Essentially, this essentially this is going to be a, a pilot mm-hmm. presentation by right. itself. Um, we have not started shooting. We start shooting in October. Oh, okay. Uh, we were trying to get it done in in uh, the middle of summer, but we just couldn't. Uh, there was we couldn't get everybody together, you know, schedule wise to make it happen. We have, we have a large cast, so yeah, we needed to we needed to uh, push it till October, mm-hmm. and uh, and so now and also to raise some more money because we needed uh, a little extra bread for everything from costumes to post production. We just need a little bit more money. We don't have any cushion. We had no cushion case. We had cost overruns, which averaged about fifteen percent. You know, typically on a production, you overrun about fifteen percent when you get in there, start start shooting and the train's rolling, mm-hmm. you know, there are expenses that may come up, you know, or hassles or problems. We may have to go an extra day. Sure. We may uh, need uh, to, we have to, we might get hung up with something else and uh, whatever it may be. Um, mm-hmm. We needed to have a cushion. We had no cushion. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're, if you're privately financing a project, then you can go to the financier or the investor and say, oh, they're, uh, you know, excuse me, I'm sorry, we need about an extra, you know, 10 grand. 
because Iran is in trouble, then you've got somebody to at least draw from at the very end because they've already spent that much money and they want to finish it. Sure. If it's, you know, this project, you've only got what the, what's in the in the can, and if you, you know, go over that limit, you're in trouble. You know? mm-hmm. So so we needed to have a cushion financially just to make sure that we make this happen. Mm-hmm. More with Tim Russ on Renegades. Let's get back to Tim Russ and the challenges of producing Renegades. How are you approaching the uh, the special effects, or do you have like somebody in mind? I would think by now you have somebody that's going to handle that for you. Yeah, we do. We have uh, Chris Dawson post. We have uh, Michael Struck. We have all kind of folks that are dealing with uh, special effects. We're ready to go with that. Oh, that's correct. That's, you know, that's not a not an issue. I mean, mm-hmm. We know how that's going to play out. Mm-hmm. Um, we we have uh, um, uh, there's a lot of physical physical uh, combat in this piece. Oh. That we typically don't have. Oh wow! In uh, track pieces, typically there's a lot more, um, you know, uh, firefights or things like that, electronics and things like that. But it's, this is a little bit more on the physical side. Uh, this show, so that's a little different than what we've seen before. Also, that's something that's going to be somewhat of a challenge for us you know, to make that physical stuff look really uh, look really good. Cool. And also safe. <laughs> <laughs> of course. And as far as uh, sets, are you using practical sets or, and green screen or maybe a combo of both? We're using practical sets. We do have one, I think we have one sequence for green screen, which is a, uh, a, dilithium, a dilithium factory uh, oh, cool. uh, installation. <laughs> uh, not a factory, but a mining operation. So we do have a green screen set up, which will have hard set pieces in front. We do have everything else we're building as hard sets, and we're using also existing ship sets that we're going to redress. So we've got a combination of all three. Wow. And uh, can you say any of the starships that we might see in this? We have, uh, well, the, the, the Renegade ship is going to be uh, uh, a unique ship by itself. Oh, cool. Uh, it's being designed from scratch, and I think it's also, by now, I think some of the designs might be on the website. Yeah, actually, I've the, seen uh, those. Yeah, those are pretty Indy, cool. Yeah, Indiegogo site now. I think there's one other class of ship that, that there's a Starfleet uh, officer flying, and I can't remember if, I can't remember what class of ship that is. It might be Excelsior, it might be smaller than that. It might be more, it might be their Voyager size or smaller. It's a, it's not a big, big ship. And I think that, and I don't remember exactly what class of ship that is, but that's the other, other Starfleet ship. You're going to see a Klingon ship also in there. So mm-hmm. there's going to be a couple different ones in there that, that we have, but definitely one other Starfleet ship. Yeah. You're actually doing a little producing with this too, just to, to make this happen. Uh, not necessarily, no. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, when I, uh, if I'm working as a director uh, these days, I I tend to uh, see things from both points of view. I see things from the producer's standpoint, and also from the director's standpoint. Although some directors don't, or the people out there that directed would rather you know sacrifice anything to get their shot. Right. And I'm not gonna, I'm not like that. I mean, if I can get the shot, you know, that I'd like to have, I'll, you know, I'll do my best to get it. But if I'm, I'm realistic about what I have to work with, whatever I have to work with, uh, I'm gonna make it happen. That's my standpoint. So, uh, from a production standpoint, I do know, you know, about the, the aspects of producing as well. So if I'm just, if I'm talking about the project, I can talk about it from, from that perspective in terms of the mechanics, the cost, the efficiency, 
there's so many tricks that you can do. It's like a jigsaw puzzle that continuously moves. Yeah. In terms of production, you can you can you can change uh, something in the script. It, it costs you know uh, uh, five minutes time to change something in the script that could otherwise cost you mm-hmm. half a day of shooting and ten thousand dollars. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that takes you five minutes to change and cost nothing. So mm-hmm. if you change that, you know, then you have now you've got you know uh, something that, that will work, but won't cost you. It won't break the bank, and it won't cost you a lot of time. Uh, and, and simplifying things when they can be simplified is really good. It's tough to, to a project like this. We're already in you know uh, a difficult realm because you're doing not only an independent project, which by itself is, in a, is, is low budget and, and, and comes with its own restrictions, but now you're doing a sci-fi show, which is even more restricted because it's <laughs> period piece. Everything yeah. you see on the screen has to be reproduced, purchased, rented, created, uh, CGI. Everything you're seeing has to be done differently than what you can. You can't go to Walmart and get it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you can in some cases. You can feature <laughs> things and put them together. But ultimately, you have to have somebody doing some kind of work, whether it's props, costumes, set design, or special effects. You, all those areas have to go out of their way to make things happen because everything on the screen cannot be today. Yeah. That's yeah. simple. So every single shot has to look like it's from another time. Yeah. And that's expensive. That can cost a lot of money. So, uh, you know, for me, my, my main, the main thing I push is the question I always ask, do we need this or do we need that or can we do this or can we do that based on what's practical? You know, um, yeah. that's, that's the main thing. Yeah. Uh, and, and from a story standpoint, and I'm dealing with this on even, even on a current project I'm working on right now, which is completely unrelated, but, uh, from a story standpoint, uh, if you've written a piece and you're, you know, it's something that's close to you and something that you really, uh, uh, are, re- you know, hesitant to, to alter or change or whatever, you're the only one that knows the story before it's been shown. Right. So the audience does not know. The audience only sees what you show them. So if you pull out a part of the story that, you know, you feel is critical or you feel you like a lot and it may not necessarily affect the uh, storyline that much the plot line that much yeah. the audience is never going to miss it because they never knew it was there in the first place yeah, exactly. the audience only sees what you give them the audience doesn't know that you had 14 versions of the script they don't know what version 12 looked like they only know what the version is that you're showing them right so so you have the advantage in that regard in that they're only going to see the story for the first time mm. you know and, and that's that gives you a lot of leeway you know, to make whatever changes are necessary. The script's been trimmed when what we had was originally more complicated and more expensive to shoot. Just as an example, our first or second, third draft was, was larger. Um, we had other scenes. We've cut a couple of scenes out of this piece because, you know, albeit they were fun and exciting, they, you know, they were, there was going to cost us too much money. Yeah. There was that much more time, that much more, that much more reset, redress, that much more costumes, that much another day, another whatever, yeah. uh, makeup heavy, uh, everything, all that stuff are things that could be changed uh, yeah. that the audience doesn't know. The audience just doesn't know what that scene was. The audience doesn't know how that scene works into the script. The audience doesn't know anything about it. They only know what you show them. Yep. So you have the advantage of that. As far as uh, when do you expect this to be uh, completed? Um, we're hoping to complete this by, uh, well, by 2014, the entire project's for sure. By 2014, we have post-production probably for six months or so. We got editing. The editor's got to cut it together. Then we got, you know, five or six, eight versions of that. 
so everybody's happy with a lost cut. Then we got to go into special effects, put this, the effects in, then we got to put the sound in and the sound effects and fully color correcting, all that business. It's six, seven, eight, it's, it's six or seven months mm. at least of work. Oh, sure. Um, and, 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 you know, people aren't working on this full time. These people are doing this part time on their own time. They're not doing it full time. Yeah. Sure. You know, they're not being paid what they normally make to, to, to work, you know, 12 hours a day on a, on a project. So, Mm, you know, yeah. that also takes the time. So we're probably looking at mid to late spring before this thing comes out. Oh, cool. And as far as uh, where it's going to be shown, are you, uh, as I understand it, this is actually a pilot for a series. Uh, it's a pilot presentation for CBS, yeah. If, if, it, if, it's, if it's shown anywhere, it will stream online live on the, on the Renegade website, or it'll be, we're going to premiere it at a few major conventions as well. Nice, uh, nice. That's probably what's going to end up happening. I mean, technically, they can show it at a dozen conventions throughout the year. Yeah. Uh, but they'll still they'll screen them there, and they'll also put them on. Uh, they'll also put them online. So, but they're going to want to present it to uh, CBS first. Sure. And uh, either get their blessing, or 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 they or if they're not interested, you know, we have what we have, and that's what it is. It's not in, in producing these kinds of shows that are owned by someone else. Right. Uh, it's a double-edged sword. Sure. Uh, you can raise a lot of money because you have fan base, but if you don't own the rights, you can't sell it. So that's, that's how that works. Yeah. And, and, and to continue financing, the only, the only way you could continue to finance this thing by yourself is to ask the fan to kick it in. Yeah. yeah. You know, over and over and over again and do either another, uh, you know, pilot episode or do, you know, uh, another, uh, uh, quote unquote movie type story, um, with the same cast of characters and a continuing sort of, uh, storyline arc or, or even an independent standalone, you know, uh, story based on, on the same characters and the same timeline. So you, you that's what you have, you yeah. know, it's, uh, and other people are doing it. I know Veronica Mars is doing it. Some other people are doing yeah, it. But amazing. I think those people own the people who are, you know, raising money for Veronica Mars. It's the, the, the producers and or the publishers own right. the rights. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they can actually do it and sell it. Yeah, yeah. It's right now, you can't even run an ad in front of this thing. You know, if we produced it, we couldn't even run an advertisement because right. that's income. Yep. You know, without some kind of agreement with CBS. And quite honestly, um, I, I can't imagine why they wouldn't allow us to, you know, Run the thing with advertisements. Break it up, run it like a, like a series on online. Put the ads in there. Take a, a chunk of the uh, a percentage of the uh, advertising revenue and let us rock and roll with this thing. I I can't imagine that it's it's, it's to me, you know, from a from an accounting standpoint, uh, from a from a bean counter standpoint, which is what most of the studios are now. People who run them, you know, basically all corporate. It's it's money that you make without even lifting a finger. Yeah. Literally not lifting a finger. I think you you have somebody draw up a couple of green. They got a legal department beside football stadium. Just have somebody in there write up the agreement mm-hmm. uh, and say, okay, here we want a piece of this. You get a piece of that. We're out of here. <laughs> That's how that <laughs> negotiation happens, right? Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, uh, we own all the merchandising. We own all this. We own all that. You guys get a percentage, and we're we're done. Yeah. Now that to me. You know, that would, would, would also, you know, give, give, uh, the impetus to, uh, to perhaps do another project, uh, another Renegades project, if in fact they didn't want to finance. Yeah, yeah. So you've got an option. 
And, and quite honestly, you know, if CBS or Paramount got involved in producing this thing, um, I, just from my experience in the business for 30 years, I know how the studios operate. And, uh, I, I, pretty, I can pretty much guarantee you that if they, if they got involved, it would change. You know, oh, sure. To degree. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to say it, you know, that, that they would, uh, uh, allow us to, you know, hands off, but there is no series on television or anywhere else that isn't influenced by the, uh, the network. So oh, they would change quite a few things and want to do this and want to do that. And, and a lot of people would be left out of the loop. Um, some people could be carryovers, you know, uh, but, but some people would probably be out of, you know, no longer have a, a gig is it yeah. because of that. So that's, that's essentially what your options are right mm. there. Now, there is a new pilot for Renegades called Renegades Ominara, which raised already $58,977 on Kickstarter. It will mark the last on-screen appearance of Nichelle Nichols, and also Walter Koenig as well. Supporting those actors is a totally new cast. Look for that in the near future. For Trek Tuesday, this is Tony Tolado. <laughs>